Well, hello there, and welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thanks for giving the show a listen today, a download, a view, a follow, wherever it is that you are. We appreciate the fact that you are here. You know, it's been said that you are what you eat. And if that's the case, isn't it then really important that we choose our food wisely? How much of how we look is actually determined by what we eat? I'm going to be speaking with plant-based dermatologist Dr. Niyati Sharma today. She has impeccable credentials and is a master of all things related to your skin. So just how big of a problem do we have with our epidermis? Let's take a look at the conditions by the number, shall we? Start with acne. Okay, get this. According to the National Institutes of Health, 80% of us will have some form of an acne outbreak between the ages of 11 and 30. And then for a lot of us, those outbreaks can persist for decades longer, well into our 50s. Very common problem. And psoriasis, that's another big one. Seven and a half million of everybody in the U.S. is believed to have some case of psoriasis at some point in their life. And it's embarrassing. It is very embarrassing for anybody who's ever had it and has had to deal with those scaly, bumpy, silvery, white patches that cover the skin. Nobody wants to live with that. Nobody really wants hair loss either. Baldness, thinning of hair, it affects about 80 million of us here in the U.S. And not just men either. Hair loss? Nearly 40% of those cases involve women. And obesity. It's been well documented that two-thirds of us are either overweight or obese. And as the rate of obesity has risen, so too have the numbers of dermatological cases. What's the connection there? And then, wait for it, the big overarching theme here, wrinkles and aging. Now, I'm sorry to say this, you're not going to like this, but 100% of us will see the effect of aging. It's inescapable. It's father time. But we can slow down his march by eating more healthfully. Or can we? Maybe? And what does it mean to eat healthier? Dr. Sharma is going to be here to outline her best and worst foods for your skin. Really fascinating interview packed with a ton of information. And then, as if that's not enough, I'm also going to be speaking with identical twin YouTube sensations Nina and Randa Nelson. They have been plant-based for their entire lives and amassed a major following thanks to their videos and wildly popular book, the Clear Skin Diet. The California-based sisters are going to be joining me via Skype to talk about what it was like to grow up vegan. Really, this is all that they know. And what I know in talking to them is that their skin looks impeccable. So put on your headphones and put on that facial mask. We're about to learn all about the link between your diet and your skin. Continuing here on the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Really excited about this episode. This is one that I've been trying to do forever and a day, and today is the day that we are finally going to do it. We're going to talk about the link between diet and your epidermis. 
diet and skin. A lot of people want to want to look young. They want to feel young. They don't want those blemishes. So here to help me break all of that down is a plant-based dermatologist who practices all the way over in Australia. Uh, she has a focus in nutrition and recently got a master's of public health from Johns Hopkins. With that, we welcome to the show Dr. Niyati Sharma. Welcome. Thank you so much, Chuck, for having me here. It's such a pleasure. Well, it is really my <laughs> pleasure to uh, to have you. Did I get all of that right? Absolutely. I mean, you could add a few more things. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> this is no place to be humble. I mean, brag on, Doc. Brag on. No, no, no. I, I think I think you got the most of it. And just having recently completed a nutrition degree at Hopkins has been really great for me to expand my knowledge about nutrition and how it relates to skin. So, yeah. I think you got it right. <laughs> awesome. Well, I, I'm really excited to, to talk to you about all of that. I want to start, though, first. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're Australian. Correct? I am. That's correct. Well, yeah. Obviously practicing in Australia <laughs> and the accent. It kind of gives it away. Uh, but yeah, so what is the plant-based scene like in Australia? Look, I think it's growing. Um, it's still new for a lot of the general public and general mainstream medicine. Um, but we have some great doctors that are emerging, um, especially in Melbourne. We have, we're three vegan dermatologists in Melbourne itself, hey. and there's only about 50 of us. So that's brilliant. Uh, there is also uh, a few others that have come about, but mostly they're internal physicians. We've got an oncologist, like I said, and person that works in ICU, um, and then a few different dietitians, nurses. So it's emerging. A few medical students have met me along the way who've also becoming plant-based. So it is exciting. And I think we are definitely forefront in Australia for being plant-based and in showcasing to our patients what it means to have a whole food plant-based lifestyle. You Well, yeah, you were just in school up at uh, Hopkins in Baltimore. So yeah. one of the things that I've kind of realized in, in working here with the Physicians Committee, and especially with the clinicians, the rotation that they have upstairs at the Barnard Medical Center is that maybe the the people who have been in practice for many years aren't really kind of open yet to the idea of plant-based nutrition and really kind of seeing mm -hmm. that link there. But this younger crop of doctors who are in med school, who are the future, mm -hmm. far more of them are very much open to this and are actively exploring it themselves. I can tell you from personal experience, um, I this is going even further beyond. I mean, this is going back to school. I've had um, a recently a GP contact me in Melbourne, and, and she has turned plant-based because of her two daughters who are in year 12, who actually met James Aspie in one of their school-like gatherings, um, who became plant-based or vegan, I would say, probably five years ago, finally convinced their parents to turn vegan. And so the mum was... Uh, contacted me to work, you know, to find out resources and what's it like based with being a plant-based physician and then health outcomes. So, yeah, it's, it's I think it's coming from every angle. So, yeah. and for us, it's just to be very uh, non-judgmental, especially if you've got medical students wanting to find out, you know, on a ward round what it's like. And I try very hard, especially on going on ward rounds with my patients, uh, with my students, um, or in outpatients, to try and link it back to food. Because what happens is you don't get that experience as a medical student or as a resident, but when you become an attendee, that's when patients start asking you, "Is it related to my diet?" Mm. And you get that with every single condition. At least I do because, you know, people can see their skin conditions more so than if they have an internal, you know, oh, yeah. medical problem. Oh, yeah. But when it comes to skin, they say the last thing they'll leave before they leave my um, 
rooms is, is this related to the food I'm eating? And I've worked in Singapore, I've worked uh, in Chicago, and I've worked obviously in Australia. It's the same question I get over and over again. So, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we're, we're going to dive into that. Uh, and, and I should also say before we ask the first official dermatology question that we are having tea time here on the exam room as we tape this. Uh, this is delicious serenity from Australia. This is just divine. This thank is divine. You. No, thank you. This was a treat. <laughs> I had no idea you were going to bring this. Um, well, I mean, it's a organic tea company that um, my family started. And we're really into health, of course. and But we're also into the health of the people that work and trying to get the tea leaves, so the workers that work on the plants uh, on the fields. So if they're not exposed to chemicals, then they're less likely to have diseases related to pesticide exposure. So it comes both ways. So your health in terms of tea, and we'll talk about tea later on about why it's beneficial to our skin, but it's also important that you drink the way I tell why you should drink non, why you should always drink organic is because the tea leaves are never washed. Ah, mm-hmm. So okay. your pesticides will never be removed from the tea leaves. And what are we drinking today? So today we have what we call Darjeeling Second Flush. Sounds funny. Wait, so, no, say that again. That is that is the greatest thing ever. Say it. <laughs> it's a Darjeeling tea and it's second flush. That's what I'm talking about. All right. Um, which just means the time it's picked in Darjeeling, which is in the northern part of India. And it's when where tea, where the best black tea comes from. Uh, so you were just saying that people all over the world, the last thing that they ask you is, is this related to my diet? Mm-hmm. So how much of what we see, how much of our skin ailments are related to what it is that we're eating? Well, hard to quantify. I mean, there are about four to 5,000 different skin diseases. So I would say probably maybe five, one, maybe two to five percent is probably related to diet if you're just looking at the disease count. Mm -hmm. But if you look at it from a prevalence or an incidence count, then it's probably, I would say, 50% because there's only a few conditions that are very common and the other conditions are very rare. Right. So the ones that are common, I would say a majority of them would have some element of diet related. What falls under the common category? So acne, eczema, psoriasis, hydradenitis superativa, which we'll talk about later. Um, And I think... Uh, other conditions like hair loss is related to food and nutrients. Um, and then there are some blistering conditions that are in more in the rare category, but they're actually some of them are propagated by plants. So we'll, we can touch on that if we want, but they're so rare that um, it's probably not worth mentioning, but more so the ones we talked about before. So, And of course, a lot of people are interested in aging. Ah, yes. Those wrinkles. Yeah. Nobody likes them. Yeah. Nobody exactly. likes and them. It, matter of fact, it's related to diet. Well, part of it. Is so, it real? Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, my wife is going to pay particularly <laughs> close attention. Uh, we'll get there, but I, I want to yeah. start with acne because that's, sure. that's a big one. I mean, yeah. you think acne, you think about teenagers. We all go through that phase. But for yeah. a lot of us, it actually stays with us throughout life. And I'm not just mm-hmm. talking about the occasional blemish. I'm talking about like serious adult acne. That's, that's still a problem. Absolutely. Great question. So- um, I think from the last time I looked, it's like 40 to 50 million Americans actually suffer from acne at any given point. So mm. that's a huge amount of the population. Um, so, I mean, we can look at it from two directions. So we know that dairy is related to acne. The largest trials, however, on dairy uh, were done on um, 
they looked at different types of milk rather than no milk versus milk, and they found that skim milk was the largest contributor of um, ac- forming acne. But in my opinion, it's always dairy. So mm. I always say to my patients, especially the younger ones that come in or older ones with that acne rosacea, get rid of dairy. And that doesn't mean dairy just in form of milk, cheese, yogurt, but it's also the hidden stuff, the the dried powders that are in granola bars and uh, soups and tin, you know, canned soups and so forth. So they're um, whey protein, casein and milk solids. So they're all three items that they can put into any product because it has no flavor and it adds weight to the product. Uh-huh. So if you look at your granola bar next time, look for the ingredients because you will definitely see one of the three in it and they also cause acne. So you have to be very careful. Do we know what about them causes the acne? Yeah, so um, milk in general has a few factors in it. So if we just talk about cow's milk, um, and they have insulin growth factor one, which is a chemical that grows things in your body. So it, it can grow the, um, the little pimples that we have in your skin and then generate more sebum or the oily sort of material that comes out of your pores or out of your pimples. And that's what it sort of makes it happen more and more the more you have insulin growth factor one. We have it, we generate it ourselves through our liver, but when we take milk in, it shifts the axis. So it almost tells our body to make more of it. Really? Yeah, but also the other thing is that dairy, especially in the United States, um, a lot of cows are injected with somatotrophin, which is an insulin growth factor one. Um, it's an extrinsic uh, chemical that allows for increased production of dairy in cows. And when you look at the FDA website, they've not, they've never looked at. Uh, They've never researched the effects of that on a human, but they've looked at it in terms of a cow. They've looked at 30 to 40 cows, and they said, the cows have no problems. We're happy to keep going. But the problem with this is that it's not denatured in the pasteurization product. So um, one of the oncology um, uh, committees have said that almost 100% is absorbed through the body. Wow. So that can contribute like around 1% of your insulin growth factor one if you drink that milk that has insulin that somatotrophin in it. So you've got it two ways now. So, And then um, cow's milk has high amounts of insulin um, properties that cause insulin resistance. So that in turn affects your androgen axis, that the hormonal that you, hormones that you release from your body. It affects that level. So then you're getting, again, it eventually goes, links it all the way back to the sebocyte, the, the pimple-forming cells. They make them grow much more, much more faster. So I that for that reason, I always tell my patients that you need to really take it out. I mean, I can tell you one patient I had. Um, so I do give out medications. Don't get me wrong. Um, <laughs> So one of the medications we give out is a retinoid, a vitamin A tablet, but it has side effects to it. Like you can get depression and anxiety and you can't give it to every um, patient of yours. And I had a teenage boy with big cysts and boils on his face. I mean, they were covered down all the way down to his oh, neck. Poor guy. And he was severely depressed and was on medication. So the psychiatrist was... Um, not happy for him to go on that medication. So the next best thing is antibiotics. And I'm not a big fan and I don't like to be on it for long term, but they don't help with boils because they're too big. Mm. And all I said to the mother was, okay, we can try the antibiotics, but let's try you going off the dairy. I mean, you need to be strict because of his condition. It looks terrible. And 
she came back two months later and they were all gone. And she said actually it took only a month Wow. for them to disappear. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so dairy seems to be the, the big offender here. I know a lot of people yeah. also think maybe sugar causes this. Sugar is a contributor too. So what sugar does, again, it affects the insulin resistance because um, when you get high glucose in your blood, the insulin gets secreted from your pancreas. The more sugar you eat, the more pa- insulin secreted. And over time, large amounts of sugar can also directly um, damage the pancreas itself, but also make the insulin resistance worse. So so through that mechanism, the insulin dysfunction can also, reg- again, affects our own androgens or our own hormones that we secrete. Okay. Yeah. So, so sugar, milk. Oh, any high glycemic index foods. Right. Yeah. Is there, is, I mean, is there any coincidence then that there is a lot of natural sugar in, in milk as well as... Oh, absolutely. I mean, and the other thing I say to my patients is, well, you're drinking someone else's hormones. Breast milk from a cow, which is what is cow's milk, has testosterone, progesterone, estrogen. Now, no one's looked at the effects of that on a human, but uh, it's going to affect you. I mean, if you can look at other studies that look at breast cancer rates, you can see they're much higher. Or if you look at Petri dishes um, research, you'll know that if you put prostate cancer cells on on a petri dish and then drip milk into it, they explode. Whoa! So we can take the same analogy to, from an acne point of view, that yes, it will have an effect on your on your body, but what extent we don't know because there's been no research done on that. So we've got yeah. dairy, we've got sugar. Um, a lot of people are, are worried about uh, maybe weed or, or gluten. I've had people close to me even say, "Well, I, I can't I can't really eat bread because it causes my face to break out." Maybe that's a yeast thing. So not so much, but it depends on the type of bread. So if it's high glycemic index bread, then that's converts the carbohydrates convert to sugar i'm noticing a theme here (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) so the idea is to eat very uh low you know eat the brown breads the less processed breads are possible you can eat these things and actually the question i get most asked is about chocolate Ah. does that's old wives tale does, does chocolate cause acne and if you look at the type of chocolate you're eating, maybe. So if you have milk-based chocolates, then yes, because it's the dairy that contributes. And naturally, in dark chocolates, the sugar is content is also less, mm-hmm. but there's no dairy. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're, you're doing a little bit better. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything in reason, but you can definitely have chocolate. Yeah, I remember reading a book yeah. in middle school uh, that had to do, I think it was called Corpulent Herald or something like that. Anyway, the kid yeah. was like a full-blown chocoholic and just covered in acne, this poor little pimple boy. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I felt so bad for him. Oh. Yeah. Oh. He was a fictional <laughs> character. I don't know why I had a bleeding heart for Corpulent Herald. He does not exist. Um, okay, so here's one. Uh, I want to I pivot and ask you about one that I actually struggle with, and I yeah. think that I eat pretty healthy, and that is dry skin. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at my hands, you can yeah. see like they're they're pretty rough. And this is this looks actually pretty good uh, Ooh, compared got, to you've got a little bit of eczema there. Uh, probably it yeah. runs in my family. Uh, I can help though. you with that. <laughs> I'm not hitting you up for for, for care, but yeah, this is. Uh, pretty good compared to what it's been. I mean, it gets okay. to a point sometimes where my skin will straight up crack because yeah. it's so dry. So dry. Yeah. So I'm going to kind of, a diet can contribute and I'll tell you what thing that you should add to a smoothie that will help give you better skin. Mm. Um, but with dry skin, you have to drink a lot of water, mm-hmm. number one. You can't be dehydrated systemically. Number two is you have to moisturize 
every day, especially when the weather changes, because the environment、um, has a big impact on our skin. And you'll notice that if you go on a holiday, sometimes if you go in humid places, your skin automatically gets better because of the humidity. But also,、yeah. you're going into the ocean.、Uh, you're more likely to have relaxation time, and you can put on the sunscreen, so that has moisturizer in it. So there's a lot of factors that go in. When you're talking about dry skin,、um, few things. So soap. The type of soap you use has to be a soap-free wash. To be honest, so something. I mean. It's hard to get a,、um, a non-vegan, oh sorry, vegan、uh, soap-free wash. But the one I recommend is Cerave because Cerave is moving towards being ninety percent vegan in next two years. Cerave. Cerave. Okay. And I would use the cream-based formulation, not the lotion. Okay. So cream means it's thicker. It has more equal contents of water and oil,、mm-hmm. and you need to put that on straight after having a shower because you're more. I guess you're able to take in a lot more of the moisture into your skin. So within the first three minutes, if you lather yourself on with the moisturizer that you like, try and be as much、uh, fragrance-free as possible because fragrance can irritate skin. Gotcha. And then,、um, and that's it. And then you're a little bit wet, damp on your skin, and you put the moisturizer on. That's a great way of getting it in. When it comes to hands, like yours, Chuck, you got to moisturize all the time all because the time. you're washing your hands. Hundred times a day, sometimes you know, yeah. bathroom, yeah. washing dishes. If you're washing dishes, you got to wear gloves. Ah, yeah. Well, we, we need gloves for the kitchen over here. We do not have a dishwasher. We are expected to wash all <laughs> dishes by hand. So this is good to know. This is good to know. Yeah, I think you should.、Okay. You should ask for. <laughs> okay. Yeah,、um, and then <laughs> if you are finding that. For example, in certain workplaces, you can get hand dermatitis because you're allergic. So I would then recommend seeing a dermatologist for that because you might be allergic to a component in the hand wash、um, or those、uh, hand sanitizers. But if you're just getting it, just a mildly, you know, bit of eczema or dry skin, then a good moisturizer that has so Cerave again has an ointment-based formulation that、okay. I would recommend on the hands. Okay, yeah, that, that is good to know. I don't think that、uh, it has anything to do with、uh, workplace dermatitis here.、No. I mean, I've had this for years long before I was here at the physicians' committee. Yeah,、so. and I think you need a little bit of cortisone on there. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll talk more after this segment. It's not all about me. I promise. You. <laughs>、uh, what about food? So,、um, how much of、oh. this eczema and dry skin is related to diet? So, just going. So, dry skin in general. If you take、uh, one and a half teaspoons of flaxseed, so there's been a 12-week randomized control trial study that showed if you have that much every day, which is not a lot, and、mm. you can put that in a smoothie. That's the ingredient you were talking about for this.、Smoothie? Exactly. Okay.、Um, you're increasing not only because you're getting some of the、um, the ALA, so some of the omega-3 fatty chain、um, in your skin, and that. Improves the integrity of your skin by, I think they said like thirteen, fifteen percent. I mean, that's still a lot, though. That number sounds low, but it is still a lot for yeah, something that's only、sure. for twelve weeks.、Sure. So, yeah. So, I definitely recommend eating flax seeds or chia seeds in your diet on a regular basis.、Okay. Um, be careful; it is, it adds to your calories. So, you, if you're someone you're Calorie conscious, you want to be careful about that. But actually, I recommend having it every day. Okay. Yeah. Flaxseed. Flaxseed. So happens that I have some in the pantry. Amazing.、So、And it's so、do. tasty. I think. Yeah. I think yeah. that you know most people who have been plant based for a while have that somewhere、yeah. in their house. Well, they do for baking.、Mm. Flaxseed egg. That's right.、Mm-hmm. That's right. Yep.、Uh, okay.、Uh, is there anything that we should be avoiding then? So we've talked about things that we should 
add with the flaxseed, but what about foods that may dry us out? I've heard caffeine is a big one. And do you mean for psoriasis and dry, I mean, for eczema and dry skin? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So anything that dehydrates you obviously is not great. So if you think about caffeine, caffeine's in tea too. So, you know, (laughs) I'm just saying. Um, So it depends. I don't limit my tea intake because I'm hydrating constantly. Right. Um, So you've got a big bottle of water right there to go with the tea. Um, and I'm always carrying that with me. I just, uh, the more you drink, the more thirsty you are. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I, for, for example, for eczema, it's um, unfortunate there's not that many big studies, but in the same family, you have asthma. So asthma is in the atopic family and eating fruit and vegetables decreases the airway inflammation. And in animal studies, it also shows the same thing. So uh, what's, we can then take that on board and say, well, actually, for my patients, I always recommend eating a very plant-based diet, um, less sugar if possible. I mean, I feel, I think not having sugar in your diet is a great thing. Cause no, you it, mean added sugar, right? Because well, you, you were talking about fruits here. Like Fruits I, are yeah. fine. Natural okay. sugars, happy to cool. give that a go ahead. But if you're absolutely fine otherwise, fruits... Uh, fruits and dried fruit in rhythm reason have nice amount of sugar that's okay but if you're adding white sugar cane sugar even agave maple syrup those have to be within reason mm. because they all cause not so much maple but the others cause inflammation and if you've got a nice inflammatory skin like eczema or psoriasis you definitely want to try and reduce that you've just broken the hearts of so many people who love candy <laughs> Um, but also, if you move on to like things like psoriasis, there's a link between eating animal products and inflammation of the skin. And that comes from a few different mechanisms. We're just, I mean, there was a recent great paper um, from the International Preventative Journal that is recently formulated. I can't remember the exact name, but um, they talked about psoriasis and that in diet. And their patient, actually, after five months, was completely cured of their uh, condition. And she wasn't on any other medication. Um, And that comes from she eliminated a lot of the things in her diet that included included animal products. So the way that animal products causes uh, inflammation in the skin is, again, through that reoccurring theme of insulin growth factor one. You generate more the more you eat animal products, and that in a turn, not only does it affect our own hormones, but it causes uh, a cascade pathway for inflammatory cytokine release. So these cytokines, if you think of them as just being mini chemicals that get released in your bloodstream, and they're not the nice guy, they're the bad guys, that increase blood flow to the area and then increase inflammation in the skin. So that's one way. And then the second way is that it affects the gut. As we know, we've you've probably oh, talked about that before, our right? Our listeners, man, the exam yeah. room listeners are big on gut bacteria. Are yeah. you kidding me? And, well, animal products causes dysfunction in the gut microbiome. And that, in turn, there's this huge, starting to be a huge link between your skin microbiome, because we have a lot of bacteria on our skin, and our gut microbiome. Hmm. So we're... I wouldn't be surprised in the next 10 years we're going to know a lot more about our skin microbiome and the connection to diet because it affects the gut and therefore the gut-skin axis is affected. 
I know that you're going back to Australia here in like five <laughs> weeks, but you should stick around because uh, at the uh, ICNM, the International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine that we're doing at the end of July, we have a presenter by the name of Dr. Lee Frame. She mm-hmm. works over at GW, uh, George Washington University Hospital, Boys and Girls, uh, and she is presenting on uh, microbiome where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. She is like the uh-huh. guru when it comes to gut bacteria, and it's really cool. I had her on the show not that long ago, and she was talking about how much we've learned just in the past 15, 20 years because of the way that DNA research has evolved and how closely mm. together those things are tied. And she's really optimistic. You say 10 years. It may even be less. I hope so. I really hope so because I think it's going to be so fascinating to see that if we can change our microbiome in the gut, I think my theory, my hypothesis is that we're going to change the microbiome of the skin and in turn reduce. I mean, psoriasis from 1970s has doubled in prevalence. Mm-hmm. And so that's something to say, like it, what's going on in our environment that's causing this to happen more and more. Um, and what's really interesting is that there is a lot of drug companies out there that have medication specific for psoriasis. And it works fantastic, but it also means that there's a suppression of looking at research based on other things and psoriasis, so diet and psoriasis, lifestyle and psoriasis, right, right. because now the focus is all on immunotherapy. Right. You're treating so, the symptom as opposed to the cause. Exactly right. Uh, yeah, that's that's a big one. Uh, we People in my family have psoriasis. I mean, yeah. uh, one person in particular, I mean the big plaque psoriasis and I felt so bad for this person because they were covered head to toe in it you know I was just I was oh my heart just broke for him and I would say gluten is a is a factor in it like half of the patients who have psoriasis have some if they're not celiac because celiac and psoriasis are related they're both autoimmune conditions Mm -hmm. but if they are um, even slightly gluten insensitive but the doctor's done a test for them and they said they're not celiac that doesn't mean that you do not try trial for yourself a gluten-free diet and I would say for probably three to six months because a lot of my patients who've done that have had significant results Um, so I would say avoid gluten if you can especially if you've got very inflamed skin right on yeah Um, let's um, let's uh, move on here this is a, a big one for a lot of people here uh wrinkles aging oh yeah everybody's searching for that fountain of youth you know uh, so what's what's the deal here? Can we kind of slow the way that our face ages, stave off those wrinkles if we're careful with what it is that we put on our plate? Yeah. So I'm going to – this is sounding like I'm a resounding board. I, sugar. So sugar is a big, big thing. I'm it, not surprised <laughs> again. Um, and actually, there's a, a mechanism, and I'll ex- try and explain it to the, the listeners. So when you have a high-sugar diet – it causes this cross-linking between the collagen fibers, collagen what gives you the supple skin. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get cross-linking of them in the in the dermis, so the second layer of your skin, and they get very sort of um, rigid. And so over time, you're increasing that, and then you're getting more wrinkles on the surface because the creases are occurring on the on the surface of your skin, and they stay permanent. Mm. So. My advice to everyone is to really look at how much sugar they're eating. Because if you look at, um, I'm not you know, saying that raw vegan is the best way to go, but if you look at generally those that eat a raw vegan diet, they don't have any sugar, processed sugar in their diet. They do have fruits, but not processed. Right. Their skin looks way different to everyone else's. Right. 
So I think there is something to be said about that um, when you're trying to look for comparisons. And then as a dermatologist, I do have to put it in there that you do have to wear sunscreen because <laughs> yeah. the sun is absolutely terrible when it comes to uh, aging. So the more you can put sunscreen on, and I'm talking about if if you're out there and you're really worried about your skin, put it on every day, right, right. no matter what kind of weather it is. If it's sunny or if it's cloudy, if it's thunderstorms, snowing, you put it on because that's one of the only ways to prevent wrinkles. We do have tricks up our trade too. You can put certain creams on your uh, face that you can buy from Amazon that you can put on once a week and that can sort of slow down the aging. But diet, from a sugar point of view, hydration, the water, and sunscreen. I was, was going to ask. I know yeah. that hydration is a big one. We see these stories on the Internet, and I, I'm not sure how much credence we should put in this because, well, it's the Internet. Um, but, you know, we see, like, I drank a gallon of water a day for 30 days, and this is how my face changed. And if you look at the before and after pictures, like, if they're not doctored, it's pretty, pretty impressive, yeah. the results. So yeah, how, how much imagine. does hy- hydration actually play a role here? So you can get um, so you can get permanent and non-permanent wrinkles. So I would say once you've got a permanent wrinkle, a deep-seated wrinkle, you're not going to get that away by hydrating more. Uh-oh. But if you've got ones that are, oh, they go away, but when you squint a lot more, you'll see more on your forehead. Um, those are the ones uh, that I would say hydration helps. Okay. But once you've got a wrinkle... It ain't going away. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh. My wife is not going to like to hear that. Oh, no. Okay. So you need to get her a sunscreen, a good one. She, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. She she fights that. She is a sun baby. I mean, ever since the day she was born, she can lay out uh, on the beach for hours. And she's the kind of person she just, she doesn't burn. She just tans. Like, yeah. And, and so I think that... It concerns me, and I've told her this, so I don't mind speaking openly about it. It concerns me that that she does this a little bit, but at the same time, it makes her happy. And I will tell you this, her skin looks phenomenal. Oh, I bet. You know? Yeah. It really, really does. So she definitely does not look her age. So she just turned 40. Okay. And I'm telling you, like, she doesn't look a day over maybe 32. Oh, she better be listening. I'll, I'll tell her to her face. She doesn't look a day over 28. Uh, <laughs> but no, oh, I, I so mean, she's, she's just a sun baby. But, you know, I, I worry about her, you know, because I mean, you, you don't have to put. See, I'm from Australia. We have to be very careful because with your type of skin, if you're outside for 15 minutes, you're looking pretty oh, burnt. It's, all, it's yeah. all over. Game yeah. over. It's done. So we do see a lot of tourists around the city and like by midday, they're red and crust and blistered it's it's awful um but i would say if you're worried about you know aging the few places that i would recommend putting sunscreen is your face the back of your hands neck and upper chest area everything else if you you know obviously i recommend also getting vitamin d Mm -hmm. from the sun and vitamin d from the sun stays in your blood twice as long as if you take a vitamin d tablet so i do recommend if you can wear a bathing suit and sit outside in the sun not in direct sun a little bit of shade and try not to get burnt then that's fine without sunscreen on but if you're if the whole idea is to prevent aging and wrinkling the areas that matter the most are the ones that i mentioned so face especially the crow's feet you know around the eyes uh the upper neck chest and the back of the hands wow 
Okay. Yeah. Good to know. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's let's switch over. Uh, this is a big one. Women suffer from this as well, but this is really, I think, when when guys when people think about hair loss, they think about men. You know, yeah. they think about guys. It's a guy thing. Yeah. You've I'm sure worked with some patients dealing with hair loss. How do I slow it down? Can I possibly reverse it? And is this caused by what I eat? And I'm going to go on on a limb and say sugar plays a role. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guessed it. But um, look, let's talk. About, I mean, great question. I think. This is one of the most frustrating parts of dermatology, I have to say, uh. hair loss in general. So men, women, kids, hair loss plays a huge, I mean, you know, there's so much stigma associated. There's so much um, value placed on hair that if you lose it, it's it's traumatizing for someone. Um, I mean, I've had myself, when, when you move countries, um, you go through a lot of stress. You have a phenomenon called telogen effluvian where you lose and shed a lot of hair because you've gone through a lot of stress. And that might not be, you know, you may not feel the stress, but it, your body does. Mm. So, um, so that can be one type of hair loss when you go through an extreme stressful event, whether it's moving, divorce, or, um, but also extreme fat diets. So if you're doing, you know, if you're someone who's not eating at all and then doing different sorts of diets, they, um, the shift in your vitamins can actually have an effect on your hair loss. But if we're talking about male pattern baldness, that, you you know, it's very common, how do we reduce it? And re- there's nothing to reverse it as of yet. Um, you can get hair transplant, but... <laughs> um, but in terms of, I mean, diet, so... Again, I can I can only speak from a from my own personal experience because there's no research on this. My mother had androgenetic alopecia, so hair male pattern hair loss in females, which mm-hmm. is even more devastating. Yeah. And when she first turned vegan, oh, we didn't really notice it. But um, what was really interesting, two years later, when we compared her passport photo, because she had to go and get a new passport, the hairline had decreased in size. So it was widening before and now it actually got narrow. Oh, wow. Um, and the density of it is now like back to normal. And so my only theory, again, I'm hypothesizing, so there's no actual research on this, is that the hormones we eat, we consume from our food has an effect of somewhat in our bodies. I mean, dairy, again, insulin growth factor one, that whole, you know, I keep talking about the same factor. It has an indirect effect on our hormones. And those hormones play a part. So what happens is you get uh, the testosterone and the estrogen levels change in within the hair bulb area. Mm -hmm. So that is played, you know, we get stressed out, um, our hormones change. But if you're doing something on a regular basis, you're eating chicken that's been hormone fed, uh, injected, or you're eating eggs, eggs are hormones. You're having dairy, dairy is hormones. So my theory is that it has an effect on your skin and on your hair. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I think you you should link up with uh, Dr. Barnard. He he's big yes. on hormones, and he's got another hormone book coming out uh, early oh. part of next year. As a matter of fact, he is one of the people I've always wanted to meet. So you haven't met him? <laughs> I have not. I've only met I've met all the other doctors, but I've never met him at a, a conference. So hmm. I would absolutely love to meet him. <laughs> hmm. Okay. I think maybe we can arrange that. Oh. Yeah. Amazing. 
Uh, real quick here, we, we mm-hmm. only have a couple minutes left. Uh, obesity, if somebody's overweight, what kind of challenges does that present as far as dermatology? So when you're obese, you're more likely to get something like acanthosis nigricans. It's, a, it's a, like a dark, velvety skin that you get in your axilla and in your neckline and in your groin. Um, and that's regular friction, but also higher levels of insulin resistance. So um, again, it's a food related to that. Um, obviously, the more obese you are and you have a family who's just psoriasis and you do get psoriasis, you're more likely to ha- continue to have psoriasis. So weight loss plays a role in improving your psoriasis. Mm. So we see that um, lots of hormonal changes. So uh, even this is sort of a, a vicious cycle. So if someone has PCOS, polycystic ovary syndrome, they're more likely to be obese. And then that obesity propagates more PCOS problems like hair in the chin for females, hair loss that's more like male pattern baldness. Um, and then, of course, just from a general aesthetic point of view, you're getting more um, um, stretch marks on your skin. So these are things that are all related to obesity and skin problems. There are other um, rare conditions that you get when you get obese. Um, especially if you're diabetic, you can get really nasty ulcers on the lower legs mm. that can be quite debilitating for patients, but it's rare. It's not that common. But I do find that if you improve your diet, you reduce your risk of diabetes, those things won't happen. Yeah, Um the, when I was talking about the family member that I had who had psoriasis, very much obese, and um, and so the, the problem just kind of stuck. And yeah. you know, at my heaviest, I was four hundred and twenty pounds, and so I think wow. that like that <laughs> was imagine. definitely. I'll show I'll show you a picture, uh, but I think that that definitely then would have been in in my future to the same extent. Absolutely. And don't forget, joints get, you know, you get inflamed joints and psoriasis affects the joint. So it's all like a, it's a horrible cycle. Once you're in it, it's hard to get out of it. So yeah, trying, trying to maintain a good normal weight, especially if you have psoriasis is idea, ideal. Mm. Uh, last but not least, before we get into best and worst foods, which I think we've pretty much already covered, but we'll, we'll put a capper on it. Uh, hydrodenitis? Yeah. So for listeners who don't know what hydrodenitis superativa, these are like debilitating boils that you get uh, where your skin rubs. So in the axilla, so in your armpits and in your groin. And you can get really big abscesses forming, um, which can scar the area. And sometimes it affects the groin. So you get um, quite mutilated looking groin of and it can happen to males and females. You do get it if you're more obese. Um, the link that there's only one paper looking at diet and hydrogenitis superativa that I know of, and that's baker's yeast. So baker's yeast, has, if you reduce it from your diet, then you can reduce the risk of um, having these boils in this condition. But having said that, I had a patient who had a mild spectrum of HS and I again told her about dairy because dairy uh, causes boils. So I thought, let's try that. Let's see if that helps. And within six months, her condition had gone. Wow. So, I mean, she also lost weight and her cholesterol went down. So like all these other things. <laughs> this is a good, good six months for her, huh? I bet. <laughs> oh, she came back and just, she just came back to thank me, actually, after <laughs> six months, which is so kind of her. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's put a capper on this segment because we have now rambled on for close to forty minutes. Oh, wow. um, 
Let's start with the bad. So the worst foods that people can possibly eat when it comes to their skin. Animal products of any sort definitely increases risk of inflammation. High glycemic index foods. So these are processed carbohydrates um, and these are sugars. So they all contribute to the insulin access that we talked about before and dairy, um, which also comes under animal products. But I would say dairy is a big contributor. If you've got psoriasis um, or certain types of autoimmune condition, I would definitely try going off gluten-free for a few months to see if that helps you. Even if your doctors say you don't have celiac, because that's not what we want. We don't. We want. It might be that you're just insensitive mm-hmm. to gluten. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, are we going to work, uh, best foods now? We might as well. Yeah. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> Uh, I got got ahead of myself. No, it's, it's cool. Um, so best foods are those that are high in antioxidants. So we're talking about, well, green and re- uh, I think it's green and yellow vegetables have very high amounts of antioxidants in them. So having that um, definitely in your diet. So color of the rainbow is what I say to my patients to eat. Right on. Uh, less processed sugar, the better. I know it's really hard to get that sugar out of your diet. It took me about a year. But you want to start slowly. You want to try and change to syrups, like maple syrup, because it's more natural. Start changing it to dried fruit and then reducing those as well over time. Um, So sugar helps in so many ways. Um, And then hydrating, lots of green tea because it has actual polyphenols in it that help you with protecting your skin from the sun rays. And in fact, today in CNN, there was an article on eating your sunscreen. So it was eating antioxidants to protect your sun. So those included vitamins A, so those are found in carrots, vitamin C, they're found in oranges, um, and what else am I missing? Vitamin E, that's found in a lot of nuts. So these are all things that protect your skin from the, from the sun and green tea. Outstanding. That is mm-hmm. good to know. That mm-hmm. is good to know. Dr. Niyati Sharma, uh, you are on Instagram with perhaps the single greatest handle that I've ever uh, seen, and it amazes me that you were able to secure this. Dr. Underscore Vegan, Doctor Underscore Vegan. That is just phenomenal, and I think that you will have at least a million followers in the not too distant future. Oh, you're so kind. I've been struggling. I mean, okay, it's all about food on there because I love eating. And one of the Who last, doesn't? I know, and the, one of the last questions I get before my patients leave is like, what do you eat? And I just point them to my Instagram and say, well, have a look. <laughs> and by the way, uh, we, we had a look at her Instagram right before we started rolling. Uh, she is quite the food connoisseur. She's not kidding when she says that she likes to eat. And these are high quality dishes. We're not talking about going and picking something up through a, a drive through. No, 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 oh, no, no, no. That will not do. This is some gourmet deliciousness. So DR underscore vegan is the place to go. Uh, and man. I, I really wish that uh, I was in Australia because I think that you would be able to work wonder uh, for my, my poor dry hands here. Oh, I can do that through telemedicine. That's all. That's another portal. So I can help you. No worries. God bless you. <laughs> God bless. You are welcome back here anytime. Oh, thank I, you. I actually think that our listeners will probably have quite a few questions. So if you are open to it before Absolutely. you go, maybe coming back on and doing a follow up. Very happy to come back and help. Awesome. Yeah, answer those questions. And if you let me know in advance, maybe I can do a bit more research. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bring a case of that tea. That, oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I won't forget. <laughs> Dr. Niyati Sharma, thank you so very much for being here. Oh, thank you, Chuck. It's been a pleasure. Isn't Dr. Sharma just incredible? I'm telling you, my skin started to glow just from talking to her. <laughs> 
If you have any follow-up questions for Dr. Sharma, please tweet them to me at Chuck Carroll, WLC, or at PCRM. Be sure to use the hashtag exam room podcast. You can also find us on Instagram at Chuck Carroll, WLC again, or written out at Physicians Committee. Maybe there's something that we didn't cover and you're still curious about. Just fire away and we will do our best to get that answered for you on an upcoming show. My next guests are two extraordinary stars in the plant-based community. Their YouTube channel already has more than 615,000 subscribers thanks to their fun videos that are filled with plant-based tips and shenanigans. You can't really tell them apart, but you can tell that their skin is flawless. Nina and Randa Nelson are about to join me via Skype to share their story about what they have learned about the link between food and skin. And two things should become abundantly clear to you very quickly. One, they are fun-loving and free-spirited individuals. Really hard to miss that. And two, they are passionate about looking and feeling your best. And that's why they wrote the book, The Clear Skin Diet. And I hope that by listening to their interview, you too will begin to look and feel your best. This is the Exam Room Podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Today, we are talking about skin. Goodness gracious. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) Nina and Brandon Nelson are on the show. Welcome. Thank you for having us. Excited to be here. Nina, Randa, in case you can't tell us apart. I honestly can't. You're twins. I mean, you should have name tags wherever it is that you go. (laughs) If you get to know our personalities, you can totally see that we look different. It's one of those things. I find it hard to believe that either one of you could be described as shy or bashful. You are very outgoing. Wait, did somebody (laughs) describe us as that? No, I'm just saying I find it hard to believe that anybody would. No, we're not shy. No, yeah, we're definitely not. Clearly not. If you spend any time on your YouTube YouTube channel, like you would see that in a second, which, by the way, is amazing. You guys are super creative on there. Thank you. We have a lot of fun. We're either, like, really cool or super shameless. I don't know. You decide. <laughs> I think that it doesn't need to be mutually exclusive. I think you can be shameless and cool at the same time. That's how I try to live my life. Yes, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But you guys also have this amazing book out called, wait for it, The Clear Skin Diet. Uh, And I got to tell you, I was texting uh, or emailing with you guys yesterday, and I was mentioning that my wife uh, is a local television personality here for the ABC affiliate, and she lives and dies by her looks. You know, that's just the nature of the industry. So I was like, hey, check out this book. This is who I'm interviewing. She's like, oh, my God, that's the best interview you've ever done. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I got to let you guys know, uh, one, you have a huge fan in, in my Aww. wife, and two, all of the questions were written by her. Yeah, that's amazing. Cool. Uh, so first, first thing, I mean, you guys have been vegan your entire life. Is that correct? Yes, yes. exactly. So our mom had an autoimmune disease called relapsing polychondritis, which is in the lupus family. Um, and basically, it's where your own immune system starts attacking itself. And within 10 years, most people are dead. And the side effects of the drugs to try to keep it at bay are blindness, are awful in itself, prednisone, so it's steroids. And basically by changing her diet, she got rid of, by following McDougal, she got rid of her um, autoimmune disease, was in complete remission. And so all of our family has been vegan, and that's why. Wow. So how many years ago was it that she was diagnosed? I think 23, maybe almost 24 years ago. Wow. Okay. And and I bet she's doing great, isn't she? 
Yeah, yeah, she's good. She went to remission and never came back at all. That's fantastic. And how was it for you guys growing up 100% plant-based? Because, as you know, as soon as you step foot out of your own door, I mean, there's a whole world of people out there that aren't plant-based. So, I mean, did you feel any peer pressure growing up to, you know, even try something as mundane as ice cream? I just remember, funny funny enough, we literally did felt no peer pressure. Yeah, especially, I think at our school, nobody really cared. It's just like, oh, they're vegan. Like, we have, like, separate snacks. And I remember kids would always be like, oh, I love your snacks. No one ever made me feel weird for being vegan. It was just like, yeah, this is what I I eat. In high school, it's like when you start maybe having crushes on boys, it's like maybe you kind of feel weird when someone's like, yeah. oh, you don't eat meat? Uh, and, yeah. And I'm like, oh, I kind of feel a little weird. But I think that's just more has to do with, like, insecurity at that age. Yeah, I definitely think the only time I remember, like, noticing, oh, I'm, like, different than most people is high school. And I do think that had to do with boys and maybe wanting to fit in more. But also, because there's two of us and we were always together, it's like if everyone was out having pizza and milkshakes and we weren't, like, we didn't feel left out. Because we were both not doing it, you know, right, right. alone, it probably would feel more weird, you know, but whereas yeah. everyone's like, oh, it's just Nina Randa, like they ordered banana, whatever. <laughs> that that actually makes a ton of sense because you, you absolutely aren't alone. I think at that age, like it's, it's so difficult because you always want to feel accepted. You want to be part of that pack, but you guys yeah. come in tandem you're a duo you know so really that that would help alleviate a lot of that pressure um when it comes to dating when it comes to boys like what's what's the deal there do you find it hard to date people that aren't plant-based or you know is is that a deal breaker i think most of the people that i'm attracted to or would like to date um they think it's cool they're like wow that's super interesting or oh that's cool it's great for the environment i like people who are like you know into sustainability and that kind of stuff so um but yeah, I've never dated, like, a full-on vegan guy. Yeah, same. I Because the thing that makes me like somebody is, like, obviously, like, would I think it's cool if somebody, like, ate the same diet as me? Definitely. But that, like, what makes me like, attracted to somebody isn't necessarily their diet. But I definitely, they do have to have, like, a respect or, like, if they, like, make me special food, then I'm like, okay, like, this, I, I like this. But, I've, I mean, I'd like to date somebody who is vegan. I just haven't liked anyone who has been <laughs> okay not a not a deal breaker so let's say this okay uh think think back to people that you've dated in the past say maybe they're 10 percent plant-based when you start dating them by the time that relationship ended what percentage of a vegan would you say they are oh, oh my gosh like, yeah it's like totally different like i dated like, even our our best friend who's a guy he like when once he started hanging out with us like he, he does cut out the dairy do dairy now yeah and he he's like oh well sweet potatoes I, I mean we've been friends with him for like six years and then he's like wow like i totally get like why you're vegan like like the animals like he was just like totally like made the connection he like you know wants to try a lot of them would like to try being vegan but they don't necessarily have like the tools or the resources or they think you know, they want to get enough calories, especially like we like really tall guys, so they eat a lot of food. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, it's, it's okay. I mean, look, you know, we, we have an audience now of like 1.5 million in the last year. So maybe Mr. Wright is listening. So who is it that you're looking for? <laughs> hey, hit me up on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> You guys, you guys are funny. Um, I want to ask you about this book. So it's a it's a six week diet here. Who came up with this concept? Was this something that you guys put your heads together and did? So basically, Dr. John McDougal had a very small segment on his website saying that there are cultures in the world that never get acne even throughout their teenage years and they never get any of the Western diseases. And basically, by following a low fat plant based diet, 
there would no be no acne and like that means no oils no soy no, soy, no avocado even like healthy plant-based fats hmm. um so he had, yeah he had that small article and we were like and oil-free skincare we were like that makes sense and then we tried it and within three days like there was a huge improvement and within six weeks is when we really noticed okay like it's definitely not coming back. It's it's significantly better. So we have the six week guidelines because we want people to get stick it, with it, stick with it, and give it a chance to actually see improvement. Well, we decided to make a book because we got the same questions over and over. Like, can you give me what you eat in a day? Can you give me recipes? What's the skincare? The same questions over and over. And we're like, well, we should just put it all in one place. So. How old were you then when you guys first started to really want to start to take care of your skin? Because obviously you're out in California, Hollywood. I know that you guys have done some work uh, uh, in commercials and in a Justin Bieber video. So obviously looks are, looks are at a premium there. So, I mean, how young were you when this stuff first started popping up on your radar? Yeah, I mean, we always cared about our skin for yeah, sure. But even when, it, when we were in fifth grade, we started watching. Yeah, our mom, wow. like, to that at, like, age 11. But, uh... No, it, it, when it got really bad when we were, like, 20 and a half, I would say, like, closer to 21, yeah. um, that's when it got really, really bad. And so, I think it kind of started at 20, and it was, like, on and off. It'd be, like, one month of really bad breakout. Um, but, like, by the by the end of the year, basically, is when the acne was at its worst, because it kept coming back worse and worse. Well, the thing was, we were doing commercials and stuff, and then when we get really bad breakouts, it's like, okay, we can't go on auditions, we don't look like our headshots. So we'd be like, what can we do? Okay, let's take antibiotics. And then the antibiotics would work. But then, then the next month, the breakout would be come out worse. worse. And what's funny is when we would take the antibiotics, we'd book commercials. It's like, okay, cool, I can work again. But then you get off the antibiotics, and you're like, I can't work anymore. And then finally, after like six months of on and off, like really strong antibiotics, it just completely stopped working. Yeah, which is became antibiotic terrifying. And we would like switch antibiotic strains. And even when we would switch a strain, it still didn't work and, and then, keep in mind like growing up i don't remember ever having to take antibiotics or anything like that so it's a bit scary question how how bad are we talking with this acne i mean you say that you couldn't work so i'm assuming that you know you can't exactly cover what you had with powder how bad oh, was yeah. it i mean it was severe it was like, classified as severe cystic acne we our dermatologist because we kept seeing um, we kept seeing our dermatologist and she was like, okay, we're going to send you to a specialist at right. UCLA. And we had to wait like what, like two, three months, three months or something on a, waiting list. on a waiting list just to see this person, just for the doctor to be like, okay, well, here's this really strong drug called Accutane. Here's this packet. You have to read it. You have to, you know, claim abstinence. You have to, uh, it's like all, read all these side effects, test the sink, get like a psychological exam get, once a month or whatever. And like see a therapist to make sure we're okay. Um, we were like, no. So it was definitely classified as very severe acne. I mean, it was to the point, like, lying on my side. We had to get special pillows yeah. so that we wouldn't roll over. And I remember when when something would bother me, I would literally, it would feel like my face was, like, crawling with bugs. With, like, oh, uh, it was just the worst feeling. Oh, man. It was, it was, like, you could not cover it up horrible. So this is a little gross, but, like, did you ever get the urge to, like, pop it and just try to make it go away? Oh, definitely. There was, there was actually, I don't have photos of it, but we had sunburn on top of the acne, and then we were getting, like, we were spending hundreds of dollars on facials, like, every, every week. week. Every single week, we'd get a facial, and this one girl, like, extracted every single zit, and and it was, uh, my face became so swollen, like a chipmunk, Yeah. and then I had third-degree burns from the sunburn, and I remember I had to take a steroid to make the swelling go down. Like, you know how people look after a wisdom teeth Worse. surgery? 
literally worse than that. Yo, you know what? I can commiserate. When I was in the fourth grade, I spent an entire day in the sun without wearing sunscreen because I thought I was going to be tough. Uh, and uh, I wound up with the worst sunburn that the doctor said he had ever seen. He said it was second bordering on third degree, and he put me on steroids. And so I'm hearing yeah. you guys talk about needing special pillows and not being able to sleep in certain positions. I had to sleep on my knees for a week because of the blistering. It was ridiculous. Wow. Well, it looks like you recovered just great. I Well, thank you. Um, so... Uh, Okay, I, I, I want to ask specifically then, what was it that you guys were eating at that time? I know that you, you talk about this a little bit in the book, but prior to going on this clear skin diet that you developed, like what are some of the foods that you were eating that you later come to find out were causing yeah. this issue? We, we, tr we weren't eating what we thought was that much fat, but it was like the accumulation over the years or just being more, our hormones being what's the word like raging yeah raging or just in that developmental stage um but we were eating like soy milk in our oatmeal we were having you know peanut butter on our bananas sometimes we'd have some cliff bars hummus avocado like foods that you would hear and you wouldn't think oh that's that bad but if you're having inflammation and it was just like oh no as like part of the meal that makes sense so it'd be like i don't know like two scoops of hummus but a little bit every day yeah. adds up to a lot of fat it's like the accumulation, especially over the month when your hormones go spike and go up because of the menstrual right. cycle. And then that's when like the breakout really occurs. So when you talk about something like hummus, what if it was uh, hummus that was made without oil, keeping the fat content lower? Yeah, that's like, fine. Yeah, just hummus made out of like without the tahini. And it was just like chickpeas, you know, ground up with some spices, water and lemon. spices. Yeah, that'd be totally fine. Cool. But most hummuses that you go out and eat, it's not just that simple. It's like a lot of oil. And so it really, for us, like even changing our diet, it really wasn't even, it didn't even like feel that much different because it was just getting rid of, oh, I'm just going to get rid of this avocado. I'm just going to get rid of this hummus. Just going to make yeah. sure I don't eat anything with oil. And, uh, and those foods are, are great, obviously, but like they're not that great, you know, like <laughs> I don't miss them at all. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's that's the funny thing. It's like people are so afraid to cut foods out of their diet. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about oil or avocado or, you know, people that are just deciding to go plant based and think that they can't live without a hamburger or something like that. They're, people are just terrified, like this paralyzing fear of never being able to eat that food again. And it, it sounds to me like you guys never had a problem eliminating that stuff from your diet, huh? I never had no. a problem. I mean, when we had the acne, we had a hunch, like we're like, got to be something like diet related and we actually went quote unquote low glycemic because like when you go online and, and try to research acne that's like was the main thing that came sugar's up sugar's the enemy potatoes are the enemy basically so, like we went low carb we went low carb vegan which is like we're basically just like all you eat is quinoa and avocado no fruit or whatever mm -hmm. and that was actually like i can only do it for a week and by the end of the week i lost like seven pounds probably all water weight i was like crying i couldn't function and so yeah just like cutting out some hummus or whatever i was like that's so easy i mean for me knowing exactly like okay you can eat these foods was like in my mind wasn't like oh this is restrictive it's like oh great now i know exactly what i can eat i don't have to worry yeah and what about uh, oily kinds of foods? You know, we've kind of already touched on that. The other thing that she was kind of wondering about, oily foods basically cause oily skin? Yeah, yeah, basically much. It goes straight to it's your like face. when you already have 
um, or extra oil production in your skin when you just eat the food. It just goes right to the skin, clogs the pore, and boom, breakout. But even like oily skincare products, I yeah. know there's like a lot of oils and stuff in the products, mm-hmm. and that's also if you're having acne prone skin, not great. And yeah. I would think that if it's not good for acne, I would think it's not good for wrinkles either. You that's know true, what I'm saying? It's yeah. like cause it's just another thing for your body to like process on its face. So I, I'm curious though. Like I would think that with conditioner, there would there has to be oil in there because it's supposed to leave your hair silky and smooth. Uh, uh, not not, all, not the case, huh? Not all conditioners need oil in them to work. Like there's actually plenty of oil-free conditioners, and they work great. Even even like obviously there's oil-free stuff at Whole Foods. There's also just oil-free stuff at the drugstore, depending on where you prefer to shop. But yeah, there's options everywhere. See. I can tell you right now that you have just blown my mind, and that is going to be my big takeaway from this interview, is there are conditioners without oil in there. I wasn't expecting the interview to go this route, honestly. <laughs> yeah, they exist. <laughs> Uh, before I let you go, I, I want to ask you guys a little bit more about your YouTube channel because that is uh, – it's a smorgasbord, man. You guys have a little bit of everything on there, uh, you know, some nutrition tips, some beauty tips. Uh, you guys even play a lot of music. Like, have you guys always been musically inclined? Well, actually, we started the YouTube channel originally for music. I feel like a lot of people don't know that, but uh, we deferred from college for like two years, and all, and all we did was take – voice lessons, guitar lessons, piano lessons. We treated like we treated this time time off like like college for music. Um and then we had like hundred, uh, over 100 songs written and we're like, "Well, we don't have anyone to hear these songs." And I've been saying since we were 16 years old, by this time we're 20. Like, "Ready, we got to get on YouTube." And she was like, "No, nah, I don't want to basically we just and started then our YouTube did. channel to release our music and then it kind of became this thing where, "Oh, well, let's also just talk about our lives." Yeah. It, it's really fascinating, and and what is? Are you playing a ukulele on there, or, or what? What is that little mini guitar? Yeah, it's like the ukulele guitar and the piano. Right, you guys are you guys are great. So, uh, have you done an album yet, or what, what's the deal here? Uh, we no. have not done an album. Our focus has just been on so many different projects that we more do that for fun. I mean, that was that was always the dream for sure. So I'm sure we will at some point. Yeah, as of right now, we just kind of record songs as we go and make little music YouTube videos. Music, music videos. Music videos. Yeah. But you guys, you're like such free spirits. Like you don't strike me as the type of people that would just do one project. Like you guys are, are the kind of people that need your hands in a little bit of everything. You know, you want to experience That's as much true. as life has to offer. That's yeah. true. Wow, you're just so nice. We <laughs> should do this more often. Thank you. You you have a standing invitation. We'll we'll give you the weekly spot. We'll just call it the Nina and Randa hour or something like that. So you ask us about dating stuff. Watch <laughs> like the cringe will just pour out. Yeah. Now I'm not sure that this would be the right form for a dating show, but let me tell you something. If we put our heads together, I think we could take over the world. <laughs> I no. think Doctor Drew would have another thing coming. <laughs> uh last last question here um your your top foods that you would recommend people eat as far as skin so the top ones to eat and the top ones to avoid and then i will let you guys go be free spirits i'll do the avoid okay top foods to eat starch so that's the center of the diet that's rice beans potatoes sweet potatoes. sweet potatoes yams fruits and vegetables oats and grains dried fruit dried fruit and that's literally it score one um, for carbs I would, yeah, exactly. I would say to avoid processed oils, higher fat foods like nuts, peanut butters, um, seeds, seeds, foods that even 
aren't necessarily unhealthy, but if you're having inflammation, so avoid them. Meat, dairy, meat, dairy, uh, avocado, avocado. I'm just repeating soy. you. Soy. That's pretty much it. Okay. So avoid high fat processed foods. I think the hard thing for people is the oil thing because when you eat out, obviously restaurants want to cook things in a lot of oil because it makes you come back because it's like more safe savory you know it's higher fat so but you can just it. request it's really yeah, you easy. can you can just say oh i have an allergy to oil and then take it seriously i don't know yeah i mean if you order steamed rice steamed vegetables it's oil free or should be <laughs> that's the best advice ever so yeah <laughs> all right nina and randa the book is the clear skin diet also have a website nina and and one heck of a youtube channel i cannot say enough about it it is tons of fun and highly addictive nina and randa nelson you guys are amazing can't wait to have you back yeah, yeah. thank you for having us soon this has been so fun they were a lot of fun be sure to check out nina and randa on youtube and instagram just search for nina and randa and then block off an hour or two of your time because once you start watching you're not gonna want to stop they're just too much fun before i wrap up this week i wanted to give a big thank you to everyone who sent suggestions about where to eat when i was in las vegas I was out there recently on work, and I'm telling you, I did the full vegan Las Vegas thing. A full food tour de force that started with lunch at Simply Pure over in Container City, where I had the chance to dine with pro wrestler Austin Aries. I had this mountain of zoodles. I'm telling you, it was sky high. It was as tall as I was. And then I also had the opportunity to check out Veg Nation based on your suggestions, and then Vegan Bites. And then I even stopped in at Nobu for some vegan sushi. So many great options out there in Vegas. I was really impressed. And so I thank you for all of your tips. You guys knocked it out of the park. You are awesome. That is why I always say the listeners of the exam room are the best. If you're curious about some of those dishes, and I'm telling you, they were out of this world. I put up some pictures from the restaurants on my Instagram at Chuck Carroll WLC. Speaking of Instagram, are you also following at Physicians Committee? If not, you should be. If you're a nut for nutrition facts and inspiration, that, my friend, is the account for you. Next week on the show, I'm going to be speaking with highly acclaimed plant-based cardiologist Dr. Robert Ostfeld. And this is an interview in all seriousness that you will not want to miss. Today, obviously, we talked about what happens outside your body because of what you eat. Next week, we're going to be stepping back inside and examining the heart. Studies have shown that we can either clog our arteries or clean them out based off of what's on our plate. And Dr. Osfeld is a game changer in this arena. He's going to be here to share the latest on cardiac medicine and the effects of a plant-based diet with us. And the man is revolutionizing heart health in New York. I can't wait for you to hear this powerful interview. Dr. Osfeld, he's also going to be speaking at the upcoming International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine right here in Washington, D.C., along with a host of heavy hitters in the plant-based community. So mark your calendars and join us July 26th and 27th as they share the most recent findings 
on lifestyle medicine. Going to be taking a closer look at the link between the rising rates of obesity and disease and what's on our plate. We're going to be talking about preventative medicine. We're going to be talking about not just treating cancer or heart disease or diabetes, but lowering the risk of developing it in the first place. Dr. Ostfeld, he's going to be there, as will Dr. Neil Barnard and Drs. Dean Ornish and Lee Frame and so many others. It will be great if you were there as well. You can get a full list of speakers and register by visiting pcrm.org slash ICNM. And I'm also going to be there recording live episodes of The Exam Room right there. And I would love for you to come up and say hi. Last bit of business, if you haven't already done so, please go ahead and subscribe to The Exam Room wherever podcasts are available. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Shoutcast, the list goes on and on and on. We are all over the place and we need for you to subscribe so that we can continue to educate about the effects of a plant-based diet on so many diseases and ailments. Not just the skin, not just the heart, so many different things that we've covered here. So go ahead and subscribe, and when you do, please leave a five-star rating if you wouldn't mind. My thanks again to Dr. Niyati Sharma, as well as Nina and Randa Nelson, and for everyone here at the Physicians Committee. I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening, and remember, keep it plant-based. Plant-based.